0: Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks for joining us here on February 11th. We are glad that you've joined us. This coming week is Valentine's Day, and on Wednesday, don't know if you thought about that, how you might love the people around you, care for those around you, whether it is a romantic type of love or whether it is just you giving maybe a little extra loving of your neighbor out to those people this week. Um thinking about that. Also, it is the Super Bowl tonight, and we here, you know, in Nebraska, many of us are Kansas City Chiefs fans, and boy, they've had a lot of good years coming up these uh, this past uh, while there. Our family really loves watching them. We'll be cheering them on tonight. But also, some things that are going on this week, just wanted to let you know that maybe you didn't know, and that is that on Wednesday, even though it's Valentine's, it's also called Ash Wednesday which is the start of the Lenten season and so we have uh, to kick off that that Lenten season is the 40 days leading up to Easter and we kick that off with Ash Wednesday service which is at 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning before people go off to school and work and we do just a short little 30-minute service here where we sing a song together we read a couple scriptures we have a prayer time, and I do a brief message. And then we put, reasons reason it's called Ash Wednesday, we put a little bit of ashes in the shape of a cross on your, your hand or on your forehead, if you would like. And people wear that uh, throughout the day as a sign and as a memory, a remembrance of Jesus and his gift to us of his life on that cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so it it's an act of repentance. It's just an act of worship. If you would like to be a part of that and to come to that, usually we have pretty low attendance on that, and it's okay. It's for whoever wants to come. Probably have about 30 people here or so, and uh, we do this uh, brief service, and it's really special for those who come. Um, If you don't want to do that, though, that's fine. We'll have an Easter devotional Uh, That we're handing out at that service on Wednesday, but it also be at church on Sunday or if you are um, From a a distance and we have an online version uh, We can give you but it'll have a little scripture in it for every day leading up to Easter and a little space for you to write uh, Some stuff, you know some of your own thoughts on that scripture So every day there's something to give you a little focus to keep your mind and heart preparing for Easter, preparing for the cross and remembering all that Jesus has done for you. This is how we celebrate Lent, you know, these six weeks leading up to Easter Sunday. And so if you'd like a copy of this, they'll be at the church. We also have, um, we had our annual meeting last Sunday, and so we have the annual meeting booklets of the people that were voted in as new members and the new budget for the year and the reports from this past year of some of the things from the different committees. Uh, that were were done. And so if you want any of these they're here at the church Just uh, come and uh, see me or call me text me whatever you want And uh, i'll get those on out to you um, But all right. Well, I hope you're doing well and we're going to get into the scripture the sermon for today As we continue on in our healthy series. And so if you have your bibles there Turn with me over to second corinthians chapter 8 and then we're also going to read a little small bit from chapter nine. and uh, these are great scriptures that'll talk about our next spiritual discipline that we are going to look at here. Uh, and um, this is wonderful. This is second Corinthians chapter eight. I'm going to read verses one to nine, and then I'll also read chapter nine, verse six through eleven. So we'll do that chapter eight or yeah, verses one to nine. It says this. Now, brother and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. For in the middle of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in his service to the Lord's people. And this exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in the love that we have begun in you, see also that you excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And then 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6, it says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, it will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, we have looked at some very important Christian disciplines so far in our series called Healthy. Uh, we've looked at things the Bible calls us to do to live a more healthy and fruitful life in Christ. We've looked at daily prayer. Daily scripture reading, both personally and with our kids. Uh, we've looked at work and rest. And then last week we looked at worship, both daily in our own private time with God, as well as um, this one special time that we get to all gather together on Sundays. Well, this morning we want to look at the next thing, uh, which is also important it is giving. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm not asking for your money today. (laughs) I'm talking about what a healthy life in Christ looks like and how we treat our stuff. It's the spiritual discipline of giving, of sharing. And it begins with the way we look at what we have and the purpose for it and what our life is really about. What are we supposed to do with our income and our things? Is it all just for us? Or has God given us what we have for a bigger purpose? In this consumer-driven society and, and uh, economy that we're in, we are told regularly that what we are and what we have isn't enough. We need a new phone because ours is old and out of date. We need a better car. We need a bigger house, more space, and a better neighborhood. We need nicer clothes We need a bigger TV or fill in the blank, whatever it is. Pretty soon our life becomes just about accumulating more stuff. But in this world of never enough, we are called and invited to live differently, to be like Christ, to be rich, not in the treasures of this world, which are passing, but rich towards God, rich in the treasures in heaven, which are eternal, rich in generosity, in love, in service, and in faith. Jesus, in fact, told us, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And then he said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Paul's letter to Timothy, chapter 6. He tells young Timothy to preach about godliness with contentment. He says in 1 Timothy 6-7, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. He said those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some eager for money have wandered from the faith, but you, man of God, flee from this. He says in First Timothy six seventeen, Command those who are rich not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous. And willing to share. In this, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What I pray that we will all hear is that there is a different way to live, different from maybe what we have been living, a way that is truly life. The life that is truly life spoken about here in the scripture. One that is truly happy, content, enjoying what they have, the people around them, and being generous with it. Giving to others out of all that God has given to them. For that which we have is given to us by God. He has blessed us that we might now bless others. So we are to look at ourselves and our, and our stuff differently. Not as our own, but to look at it from God and for a purpose. In a way, you are the middleman in a transaction that God is wanting to make. We aren't to let our stuff rule over our lives. We aren't to put our hope and money or the things that we have as our security. Our hope is in God alone. And each day, we're to be good stewards of everything that he has given us and trust that as we share with others in need, He continues to look after us. Our scripture for today is calling us to practice the grace of giving. It is a discipline of the Christian life, which means it isn't something that will just come naturally to us. We have to practice it. We have to decide to do it. My default setting is not giving away what I have, My default setting is going out and getting that thing which I've been thinking about and really wanting. (laughs) Any one of us, you see, can be greedy, whether we are rich or poor. Money can be your God, whether you have lots of it or not much of it. (laughs) We can always want what we don't have. I remember this uh, beginning in me, you could say, when I was a kid. I loved Star Wars. And I remember I was seven years old and I came home from school one day and on the kitchen table, mom had a surprise for me because I was such a good kid and I really was a good kid. But she had bought me my first ever Star Wars action figure. It was 1982 and it was a Luke Skywalker in Bespin Fatigues. He looked so cool and had this cool gun and yellow lightsaber that came with him. And he was packaged in this really awesome card with photo from the movie. And, and on the back of the package, you had a photo of all the other action figures that you could get. Beautifully pictured. And on the top of the package, I remember it read, Collect them all. Oh my goodness. I will totally get them all. How incredible is that? I thought to myself. I could have all of them. Then Luke could play with Han and with Leia and and fight against Darth Vader and the stormtroopers. And of course, I would have to get many different stormtroopers to really set up a cool scene. And, And so I kept this card by my bed. And every night I would look at it, you know, feeding not on what I have, but on what I didn't have and wanted. And I made my list and I was not content until I had them all. Maybe it's my OCD. Maybe it's my sinful nature. Maybe I just really like Star Wars. Maybe all of it. But I see my flesh in that seven-year-old kid on a mission. It took less than five minutes of me owning this really cool Luke Skywalker for me to forget about him and not be content with just him. I now had to have more. I had to have all of them sometimes i think you know have i changed at all i'm now 48 years old and in some ways i'm still trying to learn the secret of being content of not buying into the advertisement of not letting the sin of covetness grow in me of not having to chase after all to just look around at my life and say you know what i've got more than enough i am blessed i don't need more What I have, God has given me, and it is good. Thank you, Lord. And instead of pursuing more, thinking instead, how can I learn to give uh, away uh, to others? Instead of continuing down that consumer-driven, never-satisfied pursuit of more. One of my favorite scenes in a movie is from Pirates of the Caribbean. It happens at the beginning of the first movie when you realize that the evil Barbosa and his crew are cursed because they stole the treasure of Cortez. And there's a moment near the beginning of the movie when the cursed captain says to the fair maiden why he's cursed and how he got cursed. He says that he and his crew stole the treasure in their greed and it came with a curse for they found that as soon as they took it, as they spent it, they slowly began to die more and more. The more they had, the more they realized the drink no longer satisfied. The food didn't. The pleasure didn't. The lust only grew stronger the more they gave into it. The more they had, the more they wanted. The more they chased it, the more they died. I think this points to one of the big lies of our society that we have believed that happiness is found in that next thing in a way, we're all cursed. It's so hard to break the cycle, this accumulation and pursuit of wealth and the next thing we've got to have or that we want. I believe the Bible is trying to teach us the way to break this painful curse, to help us find the life that is truly life in Jesus Christ. It is in receiving from him our life and our salvation and then living for him it is in it is in pouring ourselves into others it is practicing generosity it is sowing abundantly it is giving cheerfully our scripture says here you excel in faith speech and knowledge but see also that you excel in the grace of giving And it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, coming from heaven, for your sake he became poor, taking on the form of a servant, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus did not live here for himself or for the incubation. He didn't have any worldly wealth while he lived. He had nothing to his name when he went to the cross. The Roman soldiers even took the only possessions he had, his cloak and his sandals, and it says they played games to see which one got those. Jesus had nothing of the worldly riches, but everything he did in life was for eternity and for us. He left the glories of heaven to come to earth and he came to serve, even going to the cross. He laid down his life for us. He even gave his life for us. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words, but with actions and in truth. What the Bible is saying is that we have received from the Lord everything that matters. We've been given it from Him. And so now let us live like Him. Let us not hold on to the things of this life, but freely give away all that we have like our Savior has freely given to us all that He has had. Paul says, excel in the grace of giving. Why does Paul say it like that? The grace of giving. I think it's because we realize, we're to realize that all we have is a gift from God, not earned, but lovingly given to us. And out of all that we have been given, we are to share in that same spirit of grace. It is not something that, that, that another has to necessarily earn, but we are to freely give as has been freely given to us. The grace of giving is recognizing that God is actually the true giver. We're not giving away anything that he hasn't first given to us. This, you see, changes our motivation. We give not because it's law, but because we love him. It's the grace of giving. The Jews in the Old Testament had the law of giving. It was called tithing, which meant by law they were to give 10% right off the top. It was commanded in the Old Testament, they were to give God the first 10%. It was to go straight to the temple, almost like a tax. And so they gave out of obedience to the law. But that's all it was. Law, not heart, not grace from them. If they gave their 10%, they hoarded the other 90% for themselves Even if they were rich and there was a poor person hungry right outside their gate, no, I already gave my 10%. Even if their own brother or sister was in need, no, you did that to yourself, not my problem. The Spirit of Christ was not in them. The grace of God, the love was not there. It was just law. But that is why Jesus told parables like the Good Samaritan. Where a priest and a Levite passed by a man in need, beaten up and left on the side of the road, they didn't even seem to care about his condition. But a Samaritan stopped when he saw him, and it says, bandage his wounds, pouring on oil and put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him and gave him as much as he needed until he was all better. Jesus was showing the difference between someone who was a law and someone who was really loving their neighbor as themselves. This is why we have stories like the Poor Widow who gave her two copper coins in the offering plate. And Jesus points it out to all of his disciples as an example. He says, look at all of these rich people and the Pharisees giving out of their wealth, drawing attention to themselves and the huge sums they're putting in. But this poor widow has given more than all of them for she's given out of her little, from her heart, all she had to live on to God. Jesus is getting, you see here, to the spirit of giving, of what it means, what it really looks like. And he didn't just teach this life. He lived it. He had no worldly possessions, and everything he had, he gave away. The whole story of Jesus is about generous, grace-filled, self-giving love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And Jesus gave his life, laid it down on a cross. He gave all that he had. God didn't just give us 10% of himself, 10% of his love 10% of his forgiveness, 10% of his life, Jesus gave us everything. And in that same spirit, in that same grace and mercy we've received, in that same salvation, which is a gift, we are to give to those around us. In the love of Christ, in his grace, we now are to give to others. That is why it's called the grace of giving, not the law of Christ, it is from Him. It is His love at work in our heart. It is what He has begun in us. It is His grace. And out of everything that we have received, we now give, recognizing it all belongs to Him. And we're passing it along joyfully. Our life becomes a vessel for God to work through. All we've been given, we now begin to look at differently. Not as ours, but all of it is gift. Gift meant for our enjoyment but also for others that God wants to help. what we've been given is not just for us, but for Him in His purposes, and we begin to see that. We share the blessings of God that are meant for others. We open up our home. It's not just our home, it's however God wants to use our home. We open up our heart in compassion, we share our food, we make others, to make sure others have clothing and coats. We make sure that a friend who's in a struggling time, when they're in need, we take time for that person. We care about somebody more than just ourselves. And we find that living like this in giving, we find that we f- receive and, and feel the love of God even more in us because He's working through us. And we find in this giving that we not only continue to have everything we need, but the Lord keeps giving. The miracle keeps happening. The math doesn't even add up. We give and there's still more. What we have given away, it never runs out. The bread and the fish never run out. The widow's oil and the flour, there's always enough. As our scripture said, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. God will keep providing for you. He'll give you more as you give. For the scripture says he's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. For it says he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your sower seed and enlarge the harvest of righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, it will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, the more you give, the more you find you have to give. We don't give that we would become rich or wealthy ourselves, but we're finding ourselves receiving more that we can become more generous. Jesus, in one of his parables, said, If you are faithful with the little God has given you, he will entrust to you more because he knows uh, you will not just use it for yourself, but for him. And in this, we see the greatest gift. For in giving, we find instead of the curse of the greedy that never satisfies, we find the joy of contentment and the joy of living a life that is serving God and being a part of something that God is doing in the world. and, And that is the life that is truly life. But it is a discipline you have to practice because everything in your flesh will want to keep taking when the Lord is whispering in your ear through his spirit, give, give. A few thoughts to practically think about as you think about how you can implement this in your own life. One, it doesn't matter how much you have. Give. Begin with what you have. Even if like the poor widow, it's just two copper coins. In our scripture we learn here about the Macedonian churches in Second Corinthians eight. Paul uses them an example because they weren't rich, in fact they were poor, and not only were they poor, they had lots of troubles. In our verses it says in the midst of severe trial and extreme poverty they gave. It actually says with overflowing joy and rich generosity they gave. These people were just thankful to be a part of God's kingdom. They weren't thinking about all their own troubles. They weren't woe is me and focused on self. They weren't focused on their own need. They were focused on the needs of others. Even though they were poor, they were rich thinking. (laughs) It says they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will of God, which means they weren't just do-gooders. They just loved the Lord so much, and that is why they wanted to help. God showed them who they could help, and it says they pleaded Uh, For the privilege of sharing in his service The word pleaded there Implies that they had to convince the apostle Paul Paul probably went to them and said Man, you guys got enough problems of your own You don't have to give to this one But the church in Macedonia pleaded They wanted to give And it says they gave as much as they were able And even beyond their ability Which means that they even made sacrifices They went without Maybe they skipped a meal every day Maybe they couldn't do something that they wanted to do. When have you and I ever given beyond our ability in faith, in sacrifice, in love? You know, Paul uses this church as an example for the Corinthians and us to follow. Those of us who might be tempted to say, you know what, I don't really have anything to give. This isn't a good time for us. Or I got to worry about this or that, which may come up. I don't even have enough for myself. Or once I get stable, then I'll maybe consider giving uh, to that our scripture is saying, don't wait. Begin today. Give. Begin with what you have. First to the Lord and then listen to what he puts on your heart. Trust him. You can give even uh, when you don't have much to give. And you don't know, we, we don't just give money. That's something we also have to realize is, is you can give service to your neighbor. You, A widow down the street, you may be called to share dinner with a person who is who doesn't ever have anyone to eat with and you're inviting them over. Maybe you bake something and just bring it to somebody for their birthday. Maybe you buy supplies at the hardware store and you, you go fix some problem of of a neighbor that, that they don't have the money or time to be able to fix. Maybe you, you just shovel somebody's snow. Maybe you begin... By just giving $5 or volunteering at a mission, I don't know what it is for you. But how can you add the grace of giving to your life right now? How can you begin? How can you take one step in it? Maybe it's just seeing all the stuff that you have differently and beginning to see that it's not yours, but it's his, used for his purposes. Maybe it's just beginning to notice needs that are around you that you haven't noticed before and beginning to pray, Lord, help me know what I can do today. So the first step is, it doesn't matter how much you have, just begin. The second thing we learn from our scripture about the grace of giving, though, is that it's not just doing it, it's in doing it in the right attitude of humility and grace. For 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, We shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And it says, Each one should give what they've decided in their heart to give. This is speaking of an attitude and you freely choosing to give from the heart. And what God has told you to give may be different than what he has told someone else to give. And so it's not our job to judge what other people give, but to be just generous and full of grace with what God has given us. So you see, we, we just don't want to turn this into a law thing again, you know, even in our own heads. We want to keep it at Grace. The grace of giving. An expression of love from the heart to someone else. We want to have and keep that right attitude when we give. And if you begin to notice that your attitude is changing and you're getting more negative or judgmental or complaining every time you're asked to serve or, or why are they not giving or helping or serving? Why am I doing everything? And, and now I don't even have a night to myself. If this is becoming your attitude, then you've got to check your heart. You've got to pause. You've got to come back and remember the Lord and all that he has given to you and done for you and why you're doing this in the first place. It's for him. And what has God called you to give or to do? And, and and this is not about others and what they do or don't do. Your gift is between you and God. It's He sees your heart. Have you ever seen people who give but they don't seem happy about it? Or serve or volunteer but they're complaining the whole time? They're making it about them? Or putting down the people they're serving? I mean, it just kills the whole spirit of it. It's no longer the grace of giving. It's law or burden or obligation or even self-righteousness. I mean, imagine for just a minute, what if Jesus on the cross, instead of all the beautiful things that he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and all these other beautiful things, instead of that, what if Jesus carrying the cross and then on the cross complained the whole time? What if he put people down, said, look what I got to do for you? The love would have been lost in it. We can sometimes give and serve, but not in the right heart. Not out of love for God and others, but of guilt or compulsion or arrogance. And we can end up doing more harm than good in those moments. We're called to the grace of giving. Grace filled and emptied of self giving. Jesus even said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It leads to pride, right? Giving for our own benefits instead of just for God and others. We're invited to give, to give generously and cheerfully, to share. The final way I want to encourage you to practically begin to live out this discipline of the grace of giving is to think about the different people who are around you that you could give to. What I mean is that when we, we may all have a tendency to be thinking about one particular group that is in need, and and trying to meet those needs. For example, I grew up in a home that taught me to care about the poor and that helped me see the hungry that were all around the world. And, And I'm thankful for that. I feel called to help that, and we do. But I must remember that giving is bigger than just those who don't have food in some other country. For example, what about my own family, my own marriage? My wife has needs. I can't just be so focused on giving to others out there that I forget to love her. How am I called to give and be generous to her this week? How am I called to excel in the grace of giving to her in my life? How can I pour good into her? Maybe it's in my attention, my affection, my listening ear, my gentleness, my support in something that she cares about. Am I being generous with those closest to me? How about my kids? How is the Lord's grace at work in me there? Wanting to come through me to them. How can I pour the same love of the Father that I've received into them? How can I show them grace when they make mistakes? How can I be generous with my affection and love and support for my kids? This final point I'm trying to make is be open to the grace of giving with all the people in your life. It's how we're to treat everyone. Giving is more than money and more than just one type of person in need. It's our family. It's also our family of believers here. The Bible calls us to consider how we can serve and give to other Christians and to the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so do you give to your church? Maybe in the offering plate so the programs have resources. Maybe you give in the service that you do there. Maybe you take time to help another Christian with their walk, you know, by mentoring them or prayer partner with them. Maybe you help a kid from church go to camp who can't afford it. Maybe you volunteer time at midweek or fix a broken faucet in the basement. Be generous with the family of believers. Pour into the kingdom of God. But another group we're called to give to is the stranger. It's the person you don't know that you meet along the road. And I don't just mean the guy with a sign. I mean the people we pass by in our life every day. And we don't know what they're going through. How can you excel in the grace of giving to that waitress or that coworker, What has God given you to give to them? Maybe they lost their mom recently and are grieving and we give comfort. Maybe they got so much stress and financial struggles because of the many things going on and so we give them a job or we help pay a child's medical bills or offer encouragement with conflict that they're experiencing. We share our story and maybe a little hope. We never know what someone is going through and how the Lord might want us to give and be generous. It's not just 10% in the offering plate. It's a life that is generous, excelling in the grace of giving. So begin with what you have. Give not reluctantly or compulsive, but in love and cheerfully. Think about the different people God has put into your life, your family, your church, and the strangers along your path. He who provides seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.